Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. Praise the Lord. Friends, we're about to have a baby. Right? We're about to give birth to a daughter. And when you have a baby, everything changes. Right? There's a lot of work. Right now, we're building a nursery. We're getting a nursery ready for a baby to be born. And when a baby is born, uh, there's, there's a lot of hustle and bustle. There's a lot of extra work. There's a lot of nurturing. Uh, I barely remember, I barely remember the days of our marriage before a child. Can you remember it? And so some of you that had a longer period before you had children um, might remember that a little better. It was just you and her, you know, or you had one child. Uh, you remember the, the first child and then how having the second child changed everything again. Because now you're moving from one to two and everything is shifting and changing. And friends, that's the season that we're in right now. And so we're getting a nursery ready. The, the circumstances surrounding all of this are really getting more and more and more amazing. As I, uh, we were knocking on doors yesterday, and I got to tell you, just knocking on doors and praying with people and inviting people did something to me. It, it awakened something to me about going out. And church, we need to go out more. We need to go out more and touch people more. Uh, we need to do the work of evangelism. Amen? And so that awakened in me. And so don't be surprised if you see on your calendar some days for us to go out and go door-to-door -door places. Um, it's, it's, a, it's a calling that the, that the church has to go out. And I knocked on a door, and a gentleman came to the door. And... I said, sir, my name's Darren. I said, just down the street, uh, that little church building there, we're about to start a new church. And he said, oh, yeah, I've been watching the lawn getting cleaned up, and I, I've been wondering what's going on there. And then I gave him a flyer to the tent meeting, and he said, oh, I've heard about this tent meeting. My wife's told me about it. And then he said, uh, he said, you know, my wife goes to church a lot more than I do. And I found out she plays the organ as the worship leader at one of the local churches. And then, then he says to me, she, I've been taking her to Barnes three times a month for treatment. She has cancer. And he almost started crying. And I said, I said, sir, can I pray with you? And as I prayed, 
God came into our midst. It was really a wonderful moment. And as I'm standing there with this man praying, his wife pulls up in the car. And she sees me, and uh, she was at the city council meeting where I asked permission to have the meeting. I didn't recognize her. I think she was taking minutes in the back or something. And she said, yeah, you're the pastor that's going to have the tent meetings. She said, I'm planning on coming to one of those. And uh, she said, we were at a city council meeting this morning, and everybody was talking about your tent meeting that you're going to have this weekend. And things like this keep happening over and over and over and uh, I just, I don't have time. I would spend the rest of the morning uh, just talking about it. But friends were, were getting ready to give birth to a daughter. And it's exciting. Uh, and I, and I, I hope that whether you're physically involved with it or not, that you will prayerfully be involved with what's happening. This is an all-church event. It's going, uh, as we start on Sunday mornings, in just three weeks, three weeks from today, uh, two weeks, our tent meeting there, we, we will not be meeting here. We'll be meeting there. And then the following week, we'll be having services in both places. And as that begins, things are going to shift. Things are going to be a little bit different. But I hope that you will come with anticipation and expectation, whether some of you are planning on occasionally being there, some of you just to support the work, some of you are going to be here every Sunday. Uh, but I, I hope that, that uh, there will be anticipation in your heart for all that God is doing. Amen? Praise God. Okay. I need to get to the passage this morning in Ephesians chapter 5. And I want to start in verse 25, and it says this. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blame, without blame, blemish. Let me finish the passage because it's so good. So husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery. But I am speaking concerning Christ and the church. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. I want to... I want to just say a word because I'm going to spend the rest of the time talking about Christ and the church. But let me just say a word first about family. Study was done saying that 
75% of the kids that grow up in church in the United States of America do not stay in the church. They leave. They exit. 75%. And 25% of young people that were raised in the church stay in the church. And they asked the question, why, they didn't ask the question, why did the 75% leave? They asked the question, why did the 25% stay? How many of you think that's a good question to ask? With this epidemic, I, I met a young man, I was delivering flyers, and I, when I was at the one house, he was walking out to his car, and so when I got to his house, I just stuck my head in the window of his car, and he was high, smoking dope. And I gave him a flyer and invited him to the tent meeting. And he said, oh, my mom is going to be so happy about this. And, I, and she said, she, he said, I, I, I said, is she home? I'd like to talk with her. And he said, no, no, man, she's, she's at work right now. And I said, young man, I said, God's hand is on your life. And I said, listen, church is not just for old people. Church is for young people. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. And so uh, we, we declare that to the next generation that God has a calling on your life. Amen? And that uh, he's got a plan for your life. He did not, in fact, all the disciples, the 12 that he chose, they were all young. And Paul told Timothy, do not let anyone look down on your life, but in everything set an example to the believers in speech, in life, in faith, in purity, and in hope. Amen? I believe that there is a revival of the next generation in Jesus' name. Praise God. I encourage all you young people here this morning to come to the meeting tonight at Radiant and lead the way in prayer. Lead the way in seeking God. I believe that the young people in the next move of God are going to overtake the seniors in worship and in seeking God and in moving by His Spirit. I might be preaching into the atmosphere right now, but I am speaking it by faith in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. So why did they stay connected? The first reason they stayed connected is because they ate dinner five to seven times a week as a family. Well, that doesn't have much to do with church. That doesn't have much to do with altars. That has everything to do with family, right? They ate dinner five to seven times a week as a family. I don't know that we hit five to seven times now, <laughs> but uh, uh, we try to have all of our meals when we're at home together, right? When one person is going this way and another that way and another this way and we just kind of bump into each other every once in a while, we are missing it. And Paul here, in the context of talking about the church, he couches it in, in a, a husband-wife. This is a family thing. They ate dinner five to seven times a week. 
they served with their families in a local church ministry. That's the second thing. They served together with their families in a local church ministry. That's important. You know what that means? That means that mom and dad were involved in a local church ministry. And that means that they found it important enough that they said, hey, kids, help us in this. Or they encouraged their kids to get involved in the local church ministry somehow. This is, this is the second key. This is good stuff, isn't it? Number three, number three, they had one spiritual experience in the home during the week. This means that, that their families were sharing devotions together. Their families were sharing devotions together and on some level, praying together. Uh, in the last couple of months, we've gotten away from our family devotional book. Um, I'll just freely confess that. But for a long time, when we had dinner, and we, we need to get back to it, uh, we've, we're, on, we're, on like, we're on like day like 250. So we've had 250 family devotionals together out of this book. And after dinner, uh, I get out the book and I read the devotional and everybody reads the scriptures and sometimes it opens up into conversation. You know what that is? That's a spiritual encounter in the home. Do you know what happens? The, the, the kids see, hey, this isn't just a religious thing that mom and dad do on Sunday. This is something that they believe in. And if, if you've not been there, don't feel a lot of condemnation and don't feel a lot of guilt, but you can just start, right? You can just start. And, and uh, we can help you in that. Um, number four, um, my print is too small here. I need your glasses, Cammie. Uh, they were entrusted as students. They were entrusted with personal responsibility. Personal responsibility at an early age. Thank you, Lord. And then finally, for those of you that are single, for those of you that have a spouse that is not serving the Lord, they had at least one faith-focused adult, even if the other one was not in their lives. Thank you, Father. Other than their parents, one faith-focused adult in their life other than their parents. That's important. That's why we need each other, right? That's why we need each other. This is reasons why kids stay connected. And it's not just that they continue to come to church, but they have their own personal relationship with Jesus. Praise God. Praise God. And so Paul couches this, and that, that wasn't, I didn't preach there about husbands, but he says, husbands, loves your, love your wives. And 
And I declare to every one of us that your faith begins at home. Your faith begins at home. Your faith begins at home. I have on occasion, though not in any recent history, had parents drop their kids off and say, will you fix my son? (laughs) Friend, the church cannot out-disciple you. Parents, grandparents, you have way more influence than I do, right? It starts at home. I'll give you another example of, of, of why we're planting a church. I, I walked up to a, a one, uh, one house yesterday, and uh, Linda Tucker and Janet watched this happen from across the street. In fact, later she said, what happened at that house? And this lady was vacuuming her her car in the driveway, and her boy was standing there, and as as I walked up, the boy started making faces at me. Ah, And so I made faces at him back. And uh, then he started uh, just shouting gleefully, just, and he's about that tall. And his mom heard him just having a good time, got out. Uh, pulled, pulled her head out of the car where she was vacuuming. She looked directly at me. And she looked at her son. And, and I was about to say, uh, hi, my name's Darren. And she started yelling at her son. And I won't tell you what she said. I can't say those words. And her son walked around to the other side of the car. She did not look at me again. She got right back in her car and started vacuuming. And I stood there thinking, what do I do now? And the man that was there, I don't know if they were married or or not. I don't know their situation. He came from the garage, which was deeper down. He came from the garage He's walking right towards me, yelling at his son. His son started to break out into crying, and he grabbed his son and threw him inside and walked back out to the garage and left me standing there with my pamphlets. Friends, it starts at home. It starts at home. If our Christianity is not being lived out in the home, then it isn't Christianity. Now, the passage in Ephesians 5 goes on and begins to talk about the role that Jesus has in what we were singing about. He has washed her for the day of his wedding. 
This is what Jesus does for his bride. The church, we see it right here in the word. He loved the church. He gave himself for her. This is you and I this word is talking about. Jesus gave himself for you. Not just for those people, for me. In fact, just say that right now. Jesus, you gave yourself for me. Yes, for me. And he washed me. And he cleansed me. Hallelujah. He might sanctify her, washing her of the water by the word. This is, this is by the way, the role of the husbands that I don't fulfill as well as I ought. But this is the role of the husbands in the marriage, to give yourself for your spouse and to cover her and to sacrifice yourself. Why did Jesus do this? That he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word. Hallelujah. Oh, my God. Aren't you glad this morning that you can be sanctified and washed and cleansed in Jesus' name? Uh, if, we, if we even took the, the failure even in the last month that's represented in this house, that where we, where we thought wrong thoughts, where we broke God's word, where we went the wrong direction, that, that would be a, a, uh, a pile of, of stuff. And Jesus washes it all away. Hallelujah. Let alone to mention, you know, before we knew the Lord, before we knew the Lord and we were just doing our own thing and those religious people, they're a little weird, you know, those religious people, I just don't understand them. I just don't understand what's happening. You know, um, in fact, if, if, uh, if uh, you came to church, how many of you came to church for a while before you gave your life to Christ? And you wondered, what is happening? What is happening with, with these people? Is it emotionalism? Was the worship this morning just emotionalism and you have all these thoughts and you just wonder, what's up with these people? Why are they always happy? It's annoying they're so happy all the time. It's annoying. And then you come under conviction for your own sin. And you realize, I've been going the wrong way. I need a Savior. I need to be cleansed. I need to be washed. Well, the good news of the gospel is that there is such a Savior that cleanses you and washes you. And as you're washed and cleansed for the very first time on the inside and your spirit man comes alive and you go, oh, this feels so good. And then people look at you and say, why are you so happy? Because I've been washed. I've been cleansed. I've been sanctified. I've been justified in the name of of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of our God. And why does he do this? He does this, friend, because there is coming a day 
There is coming a day when we will stand before Jesus. And Jesus is going to present you to the Father. And do you know what he wants to present? He wants to present a bride that is without stain, that is without wrinkle. Linda mentioned her dream this morning. Woke up, woke up thinking, what in the world was that? Dream of a wedding day. Those of you that have been brides before, you know, you understand the preparation that goes in to the wedding day. Many times leading up to our wedding day, I looked at Cammie and I said, let's just forget all this and elope. <laughs> she wouldn't have any of it because she was getting ready. When she came down the aisle, she didn't come down in stained garments that she'd just been working out in the garden in. She came in a brilliant white gown, prepared herself. This is the bride that Jesus is coming for. A bride that is without spot or wrinkle. God is serious about this, friends. He's serious about this. You want to know how serious God is about his bride being without spot or wrinkle? Turn with me to Exodus chapter 4 for a minute. Uh, I, I, this, this passage just gripped my heart. In fact, I preached out of Exodus 4, 3 and 4 a couple of weeks ago when I was talking about Moses and transitions and meeting at the burning bush. Um, and so Moses got through the burning bush experience. He had an encountered God in a powerful way. He was never the same. And he finally got to the place where he and his family uh, had left. They had left the desert. They were journeying towards Egypt to fulfill the call of God on his life. Uh, Moses was in, newly empowered, newly commissioned after 40 years of watching sheep and raising a family and just doing everything, doing everything out there in the wilderness by himself. He was stepping into the call of God. God, you would think that God would be happy with Moses, but look at verse 24. And it came to pass on the way at the encampment that the Lord met him and sought to kill him. Whoa! Where did that come from? Where did that come from? And so here they are on their way to fulfill the very call of God, obedient to the Lord, going to set the people free, and God meets them on the way and is going to kill Moses. Isn't that what the Bible says? Are you reading it here with me? God's about to kill him. And Zipporah, his wife, knows what's wrong. Moses, 
You're not living right before God. You're an Israelite. And the one sign that separated the Israelites from all the other people on the face of the earth was circumcision. And if anybody knew that Moses wasn't circumcised, it was Zipporah. Maybe that was unnecessary. But Zipporah took a sharp stone, cut off the son, the, the foreskin of her son, cast it at Moses' feet. Moses was disobedient and said, Surely you are a husband of blood to me. So he let him go. You are a husband of blood because of the circumcision. Got that story mixed up a little bit. Moses was circumcised, but he had failed to circumcise his son. He did not pass it to the next generation. He was walking in disobedience. He didn't have things right at home. Now, in the New Testament, circumcision, you can read about it in Hebrews chapter 2. I won't take the time this morning. But circumcision applies to every believer, not just the men. In the New Testament, in Hebrews chapter 2, circumcision is circumcision of the heart. And it's having the things cut away from your life that are unclean and that God has required of you. Circumcision of the heart. Right? Jesus is coming back for a bride that is without spot or wrinkle. God was saying to Moses, Moses, I want to use you. I've called you. I've met you at the burning bush. You've taken off your sandals. You've said yes finally to the call of God. You're going. You're going. But you've got disobedience in your heart. And it's unacceptable. You've got blemish. You've got blemish. And we're singing the song this morning. Your beloved is ready. Your beloved is ready. But church, she's filled with blemish. Church, we have got to iron our dress. We've got to remove the stain. Zipporah saved Moses' life by doing what he was supposed to do in the first place. Without spot or wrinkle. So how do I how do I do that? How do I live my life without spot or wrinkle? I'm going to go back to verse 27 of Ephesians chapter 5. I want to read that one more time and just share 
a few quick thoughts as to how to do that. And it seems like we're constantly calling God's people back to the word. Right? Are you hearing that call back to the word? Is that call happening so often that it is just not heard anymore? Or is it something that you're taking seriously in your life with God? He washes us in the word of God. That's what Jesus uses to daily cleanse us and wash us, right? Isn't that what it says? Uh, isn't that what it says in verse 26? That he might sanctify her and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word. Now, this is an ongoing cleansing. This is not a one and done. Now, I thank God that on the day that I was saved, I was sanctified and washed and on my way to heaven. Hallelujah. But I did not just take a shower on my wedding day. I've taken a lot of showers since then. Praise God. Hallelujah. I need to be continually cleansed. And that it's that way with the word of God. We need continual cleansing. And it's the washing and the transformation as I'm in the word of God that happens. And so as is almost always one of our points when we're preaching is that we have got to stay in the word of God. God. Come on, church. We've got to rise up in this in Jesus' name. We've got to rise up. We've got to not neglect the word of the Lord. Hallelujah. Now, it used to be in the days of the church, not everybody in the early church, not everybody had a copy of the scriptures. They had to trust that what the teachers were saying, and they fed, and we, we still need to, to have uh, teachers. It's a gift of the Holy Spirit. But in today's culture, every one of you has the Word of God available to you readily, and there is no excuse for us to not be in the Word every single day, washing us, cleansing us, shaping us. Hallelujah. And somebody says, well, I don't understand the Word of God. It's over my head. Well, there's a lot of the Word of God, friends, that's over my head. And I have to come before the Lord, and I have to say, Lord, show me what you mean by this right? I have to study. I have to dig in and, and, and get revelation from it. But even if I don't understand it all, the living word is accomplishing something in my life. Praise God. It's accomplishing his work in my life. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Well, how am I going to make it all the way? How am I going to make it all the way to the end and be presented without spot or wrinkle before the Father? Because that's the goal. That's the goal of every church. That's the goal of every pastor to see the people that uh, he is pastoring make it to the end without spot or wrinkle. Hallelujah. How do I do that? How do I do that? And 
So let me read a, a couple of scriptures to you. And the first one is in Jude chapter 1. And uh, Jude, Jude is a, a book that we just discussed in breakfast tables. And the first one is this. Trust in Jesus to bring you all the way through. Hallelujah. You can trust in the Lord to bring you all the way through, right? Don't panic thinking that you have to do it on your own because you don't. Listen to what verse 24 says in Jude. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy, to God our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power both now and forever. Amen. Hallelujah. And so Jesus is not just high and enthroned and worthy to be praised. He is all of those things. He has all dominion. He is able to keep you from stumbling if you'll trust in him. Hallelujah. Oh, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that this isn't just something that I'm doing on my own, that I'm not just meandering about hoping that it's all going to turn out okay, that, uh, that I've been good enough. No, Jesus, you are able to keep me from stumbling, praise God. You are able to present me. You're going to one day present me before the Father, and you're going to present me faultless. Hallelujah. Oh, glory to God. Somebody give him praise. We've got to keep trusting in Jesus because Jesus is going to, with exceeding joy, present you before the Father faultless. Hallelujah. Isn't that good news? That, my friend, is good news. Praise you, Jesus. Praise you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I, for the sake of time, I just want to stop right here this morning. I've got a, a couple other things that I might bring at a later time, but I'm going to ask the worship team to come and uh, just play that song. Your beloved is ready. Paul, in 2 Corinthians 11, said this. I am jealous with you with godly jealousy, for I have betrothed you to one husband that I might present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. That I might present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. Lord, this is the message that you're pouring into us this morning is that we are to be a bride that is without spot or wrinkle. Lord, it takes courage in this culture to live without spot or wrinkle. 
because there's so much garbage everywhere. Thinking about young people, many right here in this room this morning that go to high school, that go to junior high, and all their friends are this or that, and here they are trying to live a holy life, not a better than thou attitude, but just pleasing to the Lord. God, many of us are in work environments that are just so difficult. We're hit from every angle. Lord, we want to be without spot or wrinkle. But when we're honest with ourselves, we look and we see things that, frankly, we're ashamed of or that we know that they don't, that doesn't please you. Lord, as, as Gary thought of Isaiah chapter 6 this morning, and Isaiah was standing there in your presence, and he said, Woe is me, for I am unclean, and I'm a man of unclean lips, and I come from a family that is unclean. And you took the coal with the tongs of the altar, and you touched Isaiah, and you said, See, I have taken away your guilt. And Lord, there are those of us here this morning that if, as we look at our lives, we would say, Lord, we need to be touched by that coal. We need the blemish to be taken away. Wash us and cleanse us.